Virtual reality is not just a simulation. It's a whole other world, a new electric dimension. Virtual reality will grow. It will be everywhere. Once I've entered the neural net, my birth cry will be the sound of every phone on this planet ringing in unison. Welcome to Now Playing's The Lawnmower Man Retrospective Series. Lawnmower Man's in your head now. There's no escape. Ever. Part of the Now Playing Stephen King Podcast Review Series. This is the future. And you're afraid of it. Hosted by Stuart. His mind is like a clean, hungry sponge. Arnie. My treatments are making him smarter at an incredible rate. And Jacob. He's already been exhibiting <laughs> behavioral instability, and what you're suggesting could destroy his mind. This podcast will contain detailed plot spoilers, harsh language, and cyber sex. Well, I'm looking forward to having my lawn mode. Listener discretion is advised. So if you're ready, don your iPhones and we can begin. Today we're discussing The Lawnmower Man, starring Jeff Fahey. Yes, he got top billing above Pierce Brosnan. Jenny Wright, directed by Brett Leonard. I'm Arnie, your cyber co-host of Now Playing, and I am God here! (laughs) I knew you were going to go before that line. It's the whole reason you even saw the damn thing. Stuart in LA. Give me your tongue. Give me your tongue. (laughs) This is Jacob. (laughs) <laughs> I feel like I'm swirling together with you all into a big <laughs> dragonfly or something. I don't know. Something's overcoming me. <laughs> it sounded more like a 900 ad to me. <laughs> they had one of those in this movie, too, so you can go with that direction. Yes, I'm so glad that they qualified it as Stephen King's Lawnmower Man, because if you said you were about to see a movie called Lawnmower Man, I would think it'd be like The Pizza Boy, rated triple X, you know? <laughs> He's coming to mow her lawn. Yeah, I get what they're going after here. Hey, I did not say we're reviewing Stephen King's The Lawnmower Man. This is not a part of the Stephen King retrospective. Pay no attention to the opening credits and the cover art, folks, because we don't want to be sued. (laughs) I do love the fact that this is where enough was enough. God knows that we have already gone through some hellish king. I will argue, worse king adaptation but this is the one that litigated this is the one that made him get lawyers to remove his name from it it is a story that he wrote in 1975 and i have read it and by god i'm not sure if they made a movie based on that that it would be any better than this movie but it is nothing like this movie no i read that short story as well It was even adapted into a Marvel comic in the 80s that I've read. Marvel? Really? Yeah. It was an anthology series, and they adapted that short story as part of it. But it's about a fat, Greek, god-worshipping lawnmower guy who goes behind a telekinetically powered lawnmower, eating the blades of grass naked. And then when the person who owns the house calls the cops, he 
uses the lawnmower to kill that guy. And that's about the whole story. Wait, wait, wait. That's the real story? Yeah, that's the real story. It's in this movie. You can hear my review of the story, grass pubic hair and all, over at booksandnachos.com. I'm hoping grass pubic hair increases the hits. People (laughs) just want to know what the fuck that means. Yeah, you need to hashtag that. Grass pubic hair. (laughs) Yeah, the story was all kinds of crazy, but I think it was meant to be comedic, and it was certainly meant to be short, and it never went to cyberspace. No, they didn't know what cyberspace was, any of that, but what happened was, this fell into the hands of New Line Cinema, and Bob Shea, cheap motherfucker that he is, I learned all about him with the Nightmare on Elm Street series, and also I think there were some shenanigans going on with the Lord of the Rings series, withholding payments, he got the rights to Stephen King's Lawnmower Man name, he wanted something that would use it, so he contacted Brett Leonard and said, write something, along with his wife, Gimel Everett. They looked at the short story and said, there's no way you can make a movie out of this. If you had, it would probably end up like Graveyard Shift, right? Where you just elongate, what, the guy with his family before the guy comes to mow the lawn and they look and talk about how tall the grass is? But they realized you couldn't make a movie out of it and they happened to have a script around called Cyber God. (laughs) (laughs) And so they said, why don't we just take Cyber God, add a lawnmower, we'll put in that scene where a guy is chased through his house by a lawnmower so that it has the King short story in it, and we will call that movie The Lawnmower Man. This seems to be the way a lot of these sequels got made. It's like, we'll take an old script written years ago, and we'll just fit this one character in it, and we can call it King. Well, that's been Stuart's theory on a lot of them. We don't have proof that any of that occurred. (laughs) We don't have proof that either Mangler 2 or Sometimes They Come Back for More are really spec scripts lying around. But in this case, the people admitted it. Yeah, and got sued in a court of law. They they had to come clean about it, quite honestly. I want to just add, Brett Leonard is the mastermind behind Man-Thing. If you remember that, maybe still the lowest point of our Marvel retrospective. He made that. Yes, and also Virtuosity, the Denzel Washington, Russell Crowe. Yes, Russell Crowe is a composite of every serial killer ever. I don't even know how that works. Hideaway, Alicia Silverstone, and Jeff Goldblum, I believe. Yeah, so his career, I guess it peaked with Virtuosity? I think it peaked here. Oh, Virtuosity at least had respected actors. This has Jeff Fahey, but we'll talk about Jeff Fahey. But it's not that this movie was so bad that had Stephen King sue, it's that it just had so little to do with his story that they went to a court of law and Bob Shea went to court and said, listen, we paid King to put his name on the cover. And he got paid, we should put his name on the cover. The judge disagreed, so Bob Shea appealed. And that judge disagreed. And Bob Shea continued to ignore it, releasing the home videos with Stephen (laughs) King's name on it, got found in contempt, and had to pay Stephen King 10000 a day until they finally removed his name. (laughs) You wonder if it's worth it, though. I mean, I do feel like a big selling point of this movie, if it had been called Cyber God, I don't know that you would have made me go however you did at gunpoint, I seem to remember, right before I went off to film school. I mean, I couldn't be... (laughs) Less interested in genre pulp than when you seized me by the collar and insisted. I don't remember quite what the hyperbole was, but something to the effect of this being one of the greatest movies ever. (laughs) No, 
no, no, no, no. I remember this very well. First of all, I became interested in this movie because it was Stephen King's Lawnmower Man. It was New Line. The trailer was attached to Freddy's Dead. So I saw Freddy's Dead so many times, once in costume, mm. and... <laughs> kept seeing this trailer. You saw this in costume too, but we'll get there. <laughs> so this movie came out and I was big into Stephen King. I would not have seen Cyber God. I was actually working in computers at that time and you got computers and video games and Stephen King. Pierce Brosnan, don't forget the Remington Steel guy. You're right, and I was very excited. I was a big Remington Steel fan. Those who listen to our Bond series know that. This was in that weird period for him when the TV show had been canceled and he wasn't Bond. <laughs> and he was second billed to Jeff Fahey. So all of that got together and I went and saw this movie. Now, I don't know exactly where things changed. I didn't like this movie upon walking out, but somehow you and I were hanging out and needed something to do. And I'm like, you know what? I think you'll enjoy The Lawnmower Man. It took some convincing, but I believe the words I used is, I know your taste. I think you'll enjoy it. <laughs> yes, I know. And I just want to flash forward. We'll get to the movie when we do. But when we get the introductory scene involving the chimpanzee and all that he does, I remember arms immediately locked, folded, and I turn to you with a scowl I haven't mustered in my life <laughs> to demand. I think I even spoke in the movie. I'm like, why did you think? And you kept insisting. It was like the next scene was, it was like, oh, this part's not good. It gets better. Yes. <laughs> Like, when, like, was there going to be a scene after the credits, post-credits that was good? I just, every scene, I was just, I remember experiences without a smile, a smirk, it was fury, with arms folded, that I had been conned into seeing this crap. And, truthfully, you were not conned. Truthfully, somewhere in my brain, in my 17-year-old, not-quite-right-in-the-head brain, I thought you would like it. And then I get there, and my stomach drops because I'm like, oh shit, I I completely forgot about this chimp. All right, I'm going to apologize to him, but it gets better later. And then the priest comes out and my stomach hits the floor again. I'm like, he's going to hate this shit, but I'm going to apologize. And so this whole movie we're watching and I'm leaning over to him. This part really sucks, but it gets better. <laughs> it was like an audio commentary of Arnie Mea Koopa. You know, I I gotta say, maybe sometimes it's good to break the law, because the only reason I ever knew what this film was, was because of Stephen King's name. I mean, I, I didn't see it. I remember that trailer. I remember that CGI that we're going to talk about. But it was because of King's name that the title Lawnmower Man held any credence in my mind. Yeah, he was still gold in the theaters. It was two years out from Misery. He would had popular miniseries on TV. You could put Stephen King's name on something, and people would show up hopeful. So I definitely feel like whatever they ended up having to pay, it was probably worth it to get butts in the seats. This made a, a modest profit. It made about $30 million, which for horror movies at that time was quite a lot of money. And think of what they did with the merchandising. There was merchandising? Arnie, you bought the shirt. There were two shirts. <laughs> <laughs> this, for some reason, was also around the time in my life where I discovered, hey, Spencer Gift sells clothing? <laughs> All my needs can be met in one magical place, in one globule of a lava lamp. And so I was buying all my shirts there. I had Guns N' Roses and Here Today, Gone to Hell. I had the Nike Just Do Me shirt. Did you buy some Bachelorette penis whistles? No, no, none of that. 
But I also happened to see a Lawnmower Man shirt, two of them. They had the Cyber Job shirt and then the Cyber Sex shirt. Yes. <laughs> That's the one I remember. That almost cost our friendship. We've had several near-death experiences of our friendship, but that did almost... I refused to go out in public. Wait, wait, what was the shirt? It was the scene of the two liquid lovers wrapped around each other, the female with her legs around the male. It was all very abstract, and honestly, I thought it was pretty like a Pink Floyd cover. Yeah, it said in giant letters, cyber sex. It said cyber sex on it. Yeah, That's all it said. It didn't say lawn more anything. It said cyber sex, those two figures, and then you paired it with your keen fashion sense with a pair of Terminator 2 sunglasses, even indoors. I'm like, I cannot be seen with you like this. I cannot. <laughs> now... In my defense, back then, cyber sex didn't mean typing with one hand on a keyboard while masturbating. It didn't have a context. <laughs> this movie created the term cyber sex. <laughs> it is innovative. I'll give you that. But yeah, that's all I remembered. If you had asked me about Lawnmower Man, I would have talked to you about shame and humiliation <laughs> and, and having to walk around with you in that shirt. I did not remember much about this. I remember, I am a god in that computer graphic. And that was it. I couldn't have told you anything else about this movie. So coming back to it, I was curious to know what I had lived through because I knew what how it made me feel, but I couldn't tell you what it was I saw. I think that means you got to give us the plot. Dr. Lawrence Angelo, played by Pierce Brosnan, sees a future where virtual reality expands human capabilities. He works at Virtual Space Industries, but is funded by nefarious shadow agency The Shop. Angelo's research has been to train chimps using VR to increase their intelligence and engage in warfare. But Roscoe, Angelo's smartest chimp, becomes self-aware and kills some security guards while escaping. Angelo cannot bring himself to start over, so he goes on hiatus, wanting to quit the shop and find non-military applications for his research. Which he does through Job, Angelo's mentally challenged lawn man, played by Jeff Fahey, going full retard. If you can't find an ape, get the gardener. Job is a ward of the local Catholic church, where Father McKean beats the mentally disabled man, but he works days for McKean's brother Terry doing yard work. But with Angelo's virtual reality, Job begins to become smarter, which first causes him to stand up for himself to the town bullies and the mean priest, but then he goes further. As VR experiments progress, Job's knowledge becomes super, and he also begins to develop mental powers such as telepathy and telekinesis. When the shop steps in and tells Angelo's boss, Tims, to have Angelo reinstate the aggression protocols that were being used on the chimp, Job goes insane, feeling the people need to be ruled. He has a night of carnage, killing the bully who picked on him, the priest who whipped him, and Angelo's abusive next-door neighbor before returning to VSI. Terry, Job's driver and former boss, is killed, so Job takes out a lot of VSI security before jacking into the system and uploading his entire being into the mainframe. His plan is to get out on the neural net and control the world. He says his birth cry will be the sound of a billion phones ringing. Angelo jacks in to try and stop Job, but only when Job's young friend Peter breaks in is Job's humanity briefly restored. He allows Angelo to escape with Peter as bombs set by Angelo destroy VSI with the intent of killing the super-powerful Cyber Job. 
But at the last microsecond, Job found a back door out of the VSI system and onto the neural net. And as Angelo, Peter, and Peter's mom, Carla, plan to go underground and hide from the shop, every phone in the world begins to ring simultaneously as credits roll. Every phone but Jeff Fahey's and Pierce Brosnan's. <laughs> I don't think they got any return phone calls after this movie. Jeff Fahey, he was on something of an upswing at this point. I mean, he gets top billing here, and I actually knew who he was before this movie, thanks to a little horror film called Body Parts. Yeah, made popular largely because it had the serendipity to be released at the same time that Body Parts were being found in Jeffrey Dahmer's refrigerator. Yes, people <laughs> did go to a movie to see if there was any connection, but there wasn't. I even forget what that movie was. A hand transplant from a serial killer and the hand tries to kill people. Yeah, yeah, that's what I thought. He got a body part attached to him <laughs> and it, yeah, he started doing things. That was probably the pinnacle of his career. I still see him, and it's because of Lawnmower Man that I look back fondly when he shows up, primarily in TV. He's done some more Stephen King. He was in Under the Dome, which I watched last summer. It was almost a cameo. He was only in one episode. He showed up on Lost. He's here and there. Yeah, and we covered him in Psycho 3. I know the guy, but I kid. You're right. He was a big star at this point. He could demand anything. <laughs> <laughs> like Darkman 3, and what else did he do after this? Sketch artist. <laughs> But to me, I was seeing this for Pierce Brosnan, who, despite getting shared top billing in the opening credits, second billing in the end credits, he is really our star of the film, our Dr. Frankenstein, Dr. Lawrence Angelo. I thought that maybe he took second billing because he had some deal in his contract where he got paid for every chest here that was shown in this film. Because dude <laughs> is going around with no shirt a lot for a scientist in this film. Like any chance he gets to lounge around with his shirt open and sip some scotch while playing on his computer, he's going to take it. Hey, Job had some shirtless scenes too. This was kind of a clothing optional set. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I had to wonder, call me crazy, but I thought they might be going with something. With Pierce being so hirsute, I thought they were trying to make some connection between him and the chimps. Uh, not to be unkind, <laughs> but but no, seriously, that, you know, he's such a protector of them. At the start of this movie, we're to like him because he wants to make sure that the chimps are treated well if we actually knew the rest of his plan that he wanted to do these kinds of things to human beings we probably wouldn't be on his side but because he's an animal rights advocate and because there's these evil bald men in suits that are telling him that they don't care whether monkeys put on helmets and shoot each other i think that yeah we're supposed to see him as some kind of ape protector here oh there's a lot more now, you guys saw the theatrical cut of this, which was trimmed down substantially. Oh my god, how long is the director's cut, or whatever, the hell cut? It is about 40 minutes longer, coming in at nearly two and a half hours. Oh, oh boy. And I'm guessing that's not video footage, because that would have been expensive to produce. That's, what, acting scenes? Those are talking scenes? Yeah, a majority of it is in these early scenes with the chimp. Oh, wow. <laughs> Is there more RoboChimp? There's a ton more RoboChimp <laughs> going on in the beginning. In the theatrical cut, we get to see the chimp being trained, and then we get this chimp kind of Terminator vision. As the chimp breaks out, he picks his own lock, he goes and gets a laser tag helmet, and then he goes and kills some security guards. It cannot be overstated how funny this is. <laughs> oh my god. We're all rolling, right? Like, this looks hilarious. Like, they couldn't even afford to have a convincing-looking chimp. Like, we get this POV 
of the top of his helmet as he's walking around like you're playing a video game. First chip shooter? It is. It is definitely a video game that you'd never want to play. And I am. I'm delighted. Because I remembered experiencing this with folded hands, being angry that I had to watch it. I had no sense of humor about it. Now, tears are rolling down my face. <laughs> it's the only way to get through that scene. It's so stupid. Yeah, when he's in the little Tron suit and the gyroscope, yes. like, because that makes virtual reality even better. Oh, my word. Is, is that an image? I mean, <laughs> nothing says screaming hip any more than a chimp in a gyroscope. I mean, chimps were a thing. I want to point out, it was like a whole genre. I have no idea why it was a thing. I actually blame Michael Jackson and Bubbles. But for some reason, in the late 80s, they had all these chimp movies. Project X? Not the Project X that probably kids today know that's like a teen party movie. No, this was Matthew Broderick and a bunch of, yeah, research chimps that flew nuclear airplanes or something. It's crazy. It was really sad. I cried in theaters at that one. Oh, man, it's terrible. <laughs> Link, remember Elizabeth Shue? She had to run from a monkey. Uh, oh, Christopher Atkins had to run from a monkey. Uh, Didn't King Kong Lives come out in this period, too? It did. Romero did Monkey Shines. It was just a thing. I have no idea. It's a weird phenomenon. I wouldn't even <laughs> mind doing that as a retrospective. This would be the conclusion of that. This is at the tail end of the monkey craze. But yeah, I've never seen monkeys do this. This is It takes it to a new level of camp <laughs> in this intro. I can't imagine that, yes, by cutting it down this way, whatever we lost in, in narrative and backstory, it really sets us up for a crazy-ass movie. The idea that, yeah, chimps are going to be playing video games and trying to escape. It's wild here. Yeah, you you know, we get Pierce Brosnan, he wakes up like this was a nightmare. And I'm like, oh, okay, so that's why it was so crazy. It was just a dream. It was just a nightmare. We could write that off. We're not going to get anything that crazy again. We're not going to get into dream logic into this film. Nope, that actually did happen. I guess he just had a nightmare about it at the same time. I was wondering if he was telepathically linked with the chip. Like when sleeping, he was seeing the chip because they were off in cyberspace together. Yeah, no, I do think because later we'll find out that that's what happens when you add this aggressive, they call it it's something like program five where it's the idea is they're turning them into weapons or something but what it really does is it links minds and they can hear your thoughts and yeah i'm telling you i think that there is supposed to be this bond between brosnan and the chimps well actually the protocol five thing is just the aggression to try to make warriors and this is fleshed out in the half an hour of extra footage <laughs> with the chimp when they're discussing this what they were doing was trying to make chimp warriors to go places too dangerous for human warriors <laughs> aren't we gonna get to that on our donation series that sounds an awful lot like planet of the apes i was wondering if the, if even the ones in the 70s could look as silly as this yeah i mean it, this is crazy ass if this is what an army of apes looks like in the 1990s i don't even know what it's going to look like in battle <laughs> of the planet of the apes but we'll get there in about a month it still looks like laser tag to me but in the extra cut the chimp makes it out of the facility and goes and encounters a mentally handicapped yard man and we're supposed to be worried. This is the introduction of Job. And we're supposed to be very worried because the chimp's helmet is telling him Job is a threat and he needs to terminate Job. And then it turns out Job isn't a threat and he starts to shield the chimp. And this is our big introduction. And the way everyone comes together is like 50 VSI troops descend on Job's little cabin. And Dr. Angelo is there and he knows Job because Job does his lawns. And Angelo tries to negotiate the release of the chimp. 
you know, Arnie, you can tell me if I'm totally off base and wrong. I wonder if that maybe works better than what we see because we get the introduction of Job here and it's just a total... 180, where we're doing these cyber monkeys, shooting people up, experiments, cut to a top of the morning, you know, Irish stereotype, picking (laughs) up a mentally challenged man. I'm like, is this the same film? Or or I guess this is where they had to insert that King stuff so they could put his name on it on this totally different film here. It feels like I'm watching something else all of a sudden. Yeah, it sounds like you needed that. I don't feel like this movie needs to be two and a half hours long, but I think that they could have given us an extra minute or two and had that ape get out of the complex into that cabin. I think that that would have helped actually make, yeah, his introduction feel a little bit more organic to this. As it is, it's two completely separate stories, and since it's called Lawnmower Man, I'm left wondering why there's monkeys in this. I do not understand why we're starting in virtual reality monkey land. Well, doesn't it help that, I mean, before any of this, we start with that long-winded explanation of what virtual reality is? <laughs> This film, man, what was this, 1992? Yeah. Yep. So the internet wasn't really even a thing yet for the average consumer. Was not a word. Yeah. Yeah, Not a word that people use. We didn't even have AOL. (laughs) That really is, you know, the low-bearing fruit of the internet. Mm -hmm. This film was really hinging that VR was going to be a big deal. I think Nintendo, they put out a Virtual Boy. Everything was red because it could only deal with like red and black. You might as well just call it the Headache Giver. That thing was painful. (laughs) But man, they are really betting that virtual reality is going to be the big thing of the future in this film. And I remember being, I guess, on the cutting edge. The making of stuff says that that introduction was there because... Even the vast majority of the audience had no clue what the term virtual reality meant. I watched Star Trek. I knew the holodeck. I knew what virtual reality was. But to your layperson, they wouldn't even know that term at all. What's funny to me is coming back to it. I can think of lots of reasons to be threatened by virtual reality. It desensitizes people from other violence or they lose track of where they are and they get clumsy and they walk in front of a car or maybe it gives (laughs) them cancer. I can think of hundreds of reasons why virtual reality is bad. Mind control, that's like a 60s paranoia thing. Like that is some hippie's idea of what virtual reality will do to us. I mean, that's Manchurian candidate stuff. I wasn't thinking that this was going to be about mind control, but what we're told here is that if you put on a VR helmet, they're going to get inside your head and you're going to do whatever they say. So based on that, and of course the trailers, I knew where this was all going to be heading in this Flowers for Algernon kind of way. Yes, meets Tron. Yeah, I mean, they took the outfits from Tron. Yeah. Direct aping there, no pun intended. But the director's cut does help this i'll tell you the biggest difference in the director's cut to the main cut in the main cut you know pierce brosnan starts off with his girlfriend when he's having the chimpanzee nightmare he wakes up and there's this bitchy woman in bed with him i hate it when you smoke in bed and he's all pissed off because he likes fire hazards and after not too long she leaves him in the main movie she is there through the entire film. I have to say there's some masterful editing going on that they remove her from the entire film in the final cut, and she's there till the end when Job kills her. Wow. That's shocking. I did think it was weird. It's like, oh, you won't take me to the city. Like, how far off in the middle of nowhere are they where it's like, 
a day's journey to the city, and then she, like, leaves them because they can't go to the city. I did think that was weird, but whatever. There's so much weird in this film, I kind of just wrote it off. I definitely felt like they had built up that character to be hated and, ergo, to be killed. She definitely felt like, once we get to the slasher portion of this, I thought for sure she would get a death by Job. So I'm relieved to know that somebody thought the same thing, and that's why she's here. Otherwise, he just wouldn't have the character at all. Yeah, there actually was the whole scene where she said, I'm leaving you cut to the outside and he is pleading with her to stay and she decides not to drive off and it was very confusing for me having seen the theatrical cut first that she was kept showing back up i'm like oh yeah she's not gone in this cut so i'll tell you how she dies when we get there but yeah that is one of the biggest differences but all of the cut stuff it's job scenes pretty much with him as a human not him as a cyber god and angelo has been relieved from duties right because the chimps have killed guards and the program's not functional anymore he's on staycation right he is not allowed to go back to the lab not at all they want him to start up with another chimp they want him to just start over the next day he won't he wanted to quit but the shop and we haven't covered Firestarter yet, but this is a Stephen King element that wasn't in the short story. They're trying to make the King universe. They bring in the shop from Firestarter. They're a government agency that deals with the paranormal, and they will not let Angelo quit. He wants to go to the private sector and research helping people and medicinal purposes, so they agree that he'll take a hiatus and then come back to work again when he's ready. Yeah, he keeps pushing this idea that he can help man evolve or something like that, and yet everything is about these chimps. It's a little confusing to me. Okay, so that makes a little more sense. I still have a problem with the jump of, oh, I don't have any chimps to work for. What's that sound I hear in the background? The lawnmower man! I mean, who makes that jump? Well, he did want a human test subject. Everything went all right with the chimp at the beginning. They were going to go on to human testing. And, And so this is something he did want. The fact that he goes after a mentally challenged man, I I, I think there's some murky legal waters with that. I don't know. Mm. If you're mentally challenged, can you give consent, even if you're of the age of an adult? Are we supposed to like Brosnan for doing this? Because he's talking about other people exploiting Job. He looks like the biggest exploiter. Yeah. But he's really trying to help Job. I have always taken Angelo as a benevolent presence. He's not trying to exploit Job. He's in it to help mankind and starting with one man helping job to not be simple job anymore and with that wig tell me you were not thinking simple jack the whole fucking time (laughs) i was thinking the monkeys were doing the hair styling that is for sure it was kind of chucky kind of cobain i i don't know what they were going for but the peroxide locks were the worst yeah i think i know what the inspiration was for jeff daniels character in dumb and dumber now (laughs) Same hairdo. You know, I guess maybe I needed another 20 minutes of no scientist talk, but I, I don't think they do a very good job setting up Angelo as a, a more benevolent scientist. I get that he's troubled that his monkey went on a shooting spree, but I just don't get that it, he's going in this for pure reasons. I, I feel like he wants a human subject and here's a victim. Here's someone that he could use and manipulate. 
You know, why not take the abusive neighbor next door and teach him to be nice and not beat his wife and kid? It's a vague goal that he's trying to achieve. He wants to help man evolve. He wants to help people. Uh, Okay, that can mean lots of different things. What he looks like is someone that's bad at his job, who kills monkeys intentionally or not, and now wants to move on to humans. To me, I don't know, if we hadn't had those that lip service paid to the fact that he was sad that the monkey died, I don't know that I would see him as a kind character at all. Of course, the other tip is, it is Pierce Brosnan. He was some kind of leading man in 1992. We would be expected to think of him as the star. And keep in mind, we have seen Job as a kicked puppy at this point, because we're introduced to the priest who just beats him. Now, in the extended cut, the beating is a little bit more explained. In the theatrical cut, the priest finds some spiders by the altar, and Job was supposed to spray them, and so it's time to take a belt with some nails poked through it and whip Job. In the final cut, the priest is very money hungry, and so VSI says, we're going to make a sizable contribution to your church if you don't tell anyone about this. And so he's whipping Job so Job will remember to not tell anyone. Again, that makes more sense. I I don't want to sit through three hours of this, but things are making at least more sense in this longer cut. You know, I kind of like the simplicity of it. I mean, I think there's a kind of a a bitter kind of king-ish irony to the idea that the religious figure is being introduced killing something and calling them sacrilege and beating someone else for not doing the killing and all that. It seemed like that was a satirical target and one that Stephen King himself would have made in some short story somewhere. Yeah, I mean, we've seen the religious fundamentalism all the time carry White, yeah. yeah. Margaret White. That's why it just came off as old hat to me for King. Oh, here he is attacking a religious figure again. I would have liked to seen some other motivation. I'd like to see some expansion in his ideas. But I guess this film is not his ideas, though. Yeah, I, I know that this is a slasher movie. That's how I would classify it. So I know that we need to have villains. You're right. Pierce Brosnan wins as the most benevolent because everyone else around this poor guy is so horrible to him. Here's someone that we can't wait for to meet Job's wrath. So, yeah, they've established a bad guy at home and they've established a bad guy at the gas station down the lane yeah who is also more fleshed out in the longer cut if you want that no him i get it he's a bully (laughs) he's making fun of the mentally challenged guy even though job is making a good point don't smoke around the fuel pumps i thought for sure that's how he would die i thought for sure job would take that cigarette and burn him at the end but it doesn't go that way yeah after seeing the one burning we'll talk about i'm glad it didn't yeah maybe it is more satisfying what he does but i'll save it yeah we'll get to that a little bit but whatever you have i have even in the theatrical cut even when i forced stewart to see it in 1992 thought pierce brosnan was trying to do a good deed here by strapping him into the chair and making him play video games that (laughs) looked really cool now there was a brief period in gaming right between like nintendo 8-bit stuff and the playstation really high-end graphic stuff where what you got was a lot of just colorful shapes and at this time when this came out i would have killed to play a game as cool as the one that they have here you fly around and your bottom half is naked sticking out at the time this would have been its own entertainment people would have paid money just to see these graphics now i know that's ludicrous now but 
inside the mind's eye and there were things that they would play in bars or you can buy VHS copies that would just be, yeah, what we would now call like screensavers or something like that. It's just <laughs> we were so enamored with the ability to create computer-generated imagery that it was enough for its own entertainment. I think that in 1992, you could have enjoyed this movie just for those kinds of moments. In fact, uh, it might be the only thing you enjoy. And I certainly did. And in fact, this movie held a record. All of these scenes were, in fact, computer animated. They were done by Rockstar Studios, not the ones who made Grand Theft Auto, but the ones who would go on to make, like, Resident Evil 2, and they would collaborate on Grand Theft Auto 5. So this movie held the record for the most minutes of computer-generated footage until Toy Story. Toy Story? Even more than Terminator 2? Keep in mind, Terminator 2 had a lot, but if you look at the number of minutes that the mm. T-1000 is doing computer stuff on screen, this beats it. Yeah, the Terminator 2 is only like a matter of six minutes when you add it all up. Sure. Yeah, I guess I'm thinking what's more convincing, obviously, Cameron's <laughs> movie, but this one has more of it. It doesn't look as good, not nearly, but it's certainly prevalent. And you're right. You get enough of that. If you were buying your ticket just to see the computer stuff, they know that that's part of the selling point. They keep sticking it in here. And this is an early scene that has got wow factor. It makes me honestly wait for a 3D conversion of this film. Uh, only you, Arnie. But yeah. Did this have wow factor? Did this have wow factor for you, Stuart, when you're being forced to watch this, or you, Arnie? Because I don't know. Even I remember seeing that trailer, and you got that glimpse of the cyber lawnmower man, and I was just like, huh, that's a weird, interesting look. I thought it was cool. I couldn't deny that. I wouldn't admit it to Arnie, because that would be like <laughs> waving a white flag of defeat, but I thought that this stuff looked cool in 1992. And this is the stuff I thought Stuart would like, was the colorful, artistic... Again, kind of rock album cover type of stuff. It was this stuff, not the priest stuff, not the chimp stuff, that I remembered most. And I would like to clarify, we went to see it at the Dollar Theater, Stuart. You spent a dollar. <laughs> that was a lot of money when I'm 17 years old. Hey, yeah, with inflation, that's probably like 275 now. <laughs> <laughs> so... It had already gone to the Dollar Theater when we were seeing this, so many months had passed. It was the computer stuff I remembered and remembered enjoying going back. Yeah, I could understand that now, but at the time, you were just doing something cruel and punishing. You felt like Pierce Brosnan, and I felt like Jeff Fahey. <laughs> but it doesn't take too long before a couple of injections and a couple of cyberspace games, and Jeff Fahey is starting to become intelligent he starts to stand up for himself he wants his paycheck from the priest so he can go dress like a cowboy <laughs> at first when that priest walks in and starts whipping him i almost thought it was because like he thought Job was having like these weird homosexual tendencies like looking at these two shirtless cowboys and then like posing in front of the mirror and he like walks in and catches them and sees this like page of a magazine he ripped out it was <laughs> I'm like wow if being intelligent means you want to and this isn't like cool cowboy this is straight up like boots and tight dungarees and like this is what smart people want to do they want to dress like this well I could understand that he wanted to be desirable I mean, he was showing self-awareness where I mean, look at his hair. I mean, he's starting to think about grooming. I get it. Yeah, the problem is he looks like Anton Sugar from No Country for Old Men when he does his hair. <laughs> but it's stated in the director's cut that he started off with an IQ of like 47. And so 
he's rapidly aging. You know, he's gone from this really infantile wearing bib overalls, you know, basically Oshkosh Bagosh. And then he gets a little bit older. He's ready to cosplay. He likes cowboys. He wants to be a cowboy. He's gone from about the age of four to about the age of eight. He's he's not an adult yet, but he says he wants to have his paycheck so he can turn his house into a ranch. And give him a day or two and he wants to get laid. He reaches puberty pretty quick because it isn't long before he's wearing no shirt and mowing the lawn of a wealthy widow who has nothing better to do than eat apples and wave from her porch. I do love Terry, you know, the gardener. What, he's the brother of the priest? Yeah, yeah. You know, at one point, Marnie, this young widow is like beckoning him to come in and like terry the brother of a priest is like go bang her dude i'll take care of the rose bushes in the lawn go bang this chick like totally encouraging him oh it's totally great i mean they meet at the gas station and she's like i can't wait for you to mow my lawn <laughs> it's really <laughs> like the movie Stewart thought he was going to see, you know? Yeah, that's what I mean. They knew that the people wanted that if they were going to a movie called Lawnmower Man, and so they gave them this little interlude here. And, you know, I think it's wise to put sex in a low-rent horror movie. I think from a marketing standpoint, we're not here to see the learning, all right? We're here to see <laughs> the cyber sex, right? This is the chick that he's going to eventually strap into the Tron suit and take her to uh, his fantasy realm. Yeah, but first they go into the physical realm, and it is a really funny scene. It's got the tongue stuff Jacob was talking about earlier, and a slight glimpse of nipple, not very much. Come on, he learns about hard and soft by boobs and a boner. It's like Sex Sesame Street style. <laughs> hard, soft, <laughs> wet. Now, I have a serious question here, because I, I really don't know. You mentioned Flowers for Algernon, which is a famous story about research that turned developmentally disabled people into geniuses for a brief time and then they regressed because they were not able to keep the phenomenon going and they went back to being simple people. That's not what happens here. It's what I thought Lawnmower Man was about. But what goes wrong exactly? I can look at lots of different things that may be the culprit, but I'm not sure exactly why it all goes bad. And it's slightly different in both cuts of the film, too. In the final cut of the film, the theatrical cut, it's implied that it really all goes bad when the shop gets involved, and they want the aggression protocols put back in. And so they swap Angelo's green formula for this new red formula, and he doesn't even notice. <laughs> Is he colorblind? Yeah, terrible. It also seems that, like, they redo the program. Like, eventually, Angelo is able to bring Job to VSI, and they hook up to the gyroscopes and spin around. I don't know if I understand what this virtual reality therapy is doing. It seems like it shoots a bunch of lights into your eye and that Kabbalah symbols in fact yeah exactly strobe effects it's a good way to get migraines I know why later he's got these headaches going on that's it it's terrible yeah and I thought they dropped some line that they were going to reprogram whatever they were shooting into his eyeballs with the more aggressive programming right that said the medicine is said but in the cut i saw anyway he was having problems with reality pixelating even before then yeah and in, even more distinct in the director's cut that his intelligence is just going off the charts and with that intelligence it's really the director's cut is playing to me like an old star trek 1960s episode there were a couple of them the very first episode with First Commander Gary, I think his name was, and then there was Charlie X, 
where these people become super powerful and as they just become more powerful, they become more detached and just looking down upon the humans around them. But in both cases, Job becomes super smart. It's played up even more in the director's cut. He actually learns all of human history in a few hours. He's increased the baud rate, they use that term, of the CD-ROMs he's learning from to learn all of human history and learn how sad and tragic human history is that people tried for so much and lost so much and he needs to guide human history from now on because he can see things others can't obviously he just needs to find out about the fifth element love (laughs) but then he's also gaining the powers of carrie and the father from firestarter he can move things with his mind and read people's thoughts yeah this is all right after he has sex for the first time he goes into the diner he's barraged by everyone's mind waves he can tell what they're reading and then he's moving things around that's something that comes with uh, maturity and banging your first woman yeah this is actually where i think the real fallings happened even if the shop hadn't gotten involved i think it would have gone bad because what the way i read it anyway is that he's tapping into a primal state he is actually devolving, even though he is learning more knowledge and becoming more intelligent. He is going to essentially become like a caveman or a, a, an ape or something like that, an a, a aggressive state because he taps into the way people used to be before knowledge and intelligence. And there's some lip service paid to the fact that we all used to be wizards and could cast these spells, and then it all got forgotten as we created modern society. Yeah. These were primal powers that were being unlocked. And what I think they were saying is that what Angelo is doing with virtual reality is similar to what sorcerers and magicians were doing in unlocking those ancient powers in themselves in more modern times. But he's not becoming devolved. He's becoming more evolved and using more of his brain. He becomes too intelligent and has all these psychic powers. Yeah, I, well, you know, it reminded me of the movie Altered States a little, which is about a guy that uses a sensory deprivation tank to be regress to a man. It's a, actually kind of a cool movie. It, it reminded me of that in little beats and moments, and I wondered if maybe they were copying that a little bit. I certainly got that when we finally get to the cyber sex scene, because what I'm expected to believe there is that that's primordial goo that they land in. <laughs> so, so okay, the cyber sex scene. I like this as a concept you know this marnie was incredibly horny anyway she wanted to do kinky things job takes her there not sure how he got access to the place well he's been there so often and in the director's cut he has even more access for it so they go there and he doesn't want to hurt her and then Stuart, you now have revisited my t-shirt it wasn't that bad really (laughs) Yes, it really was. Here's the thing, Arnie. I haven't seen the t-shirt. It's one thing if it was when they merge together and form a dragonfly. It's another thing, like, Marnie is stuck in this goo, and Job, like, transforms into, I don't know, something that is spitting what I can only describe as virtual death ejaculate. Like, it is spewing goo. I'm thinking it's killing her. Like, what picture, which one did you have on your shirt? Death ejaculate or a dragonfly? No, it was the two bodies kissing with their lips become one, and maybe her lips were, like, up around his groin a little. They had taffy face. Their faces were pulling apart, and there was a long, stretchy thing between them, and they were lying in this primordial ooze. There was no lying in primordial 
lose. They were hovering over the abyss, you know? I don't know if I'd want a melty face. Like, that kind of freaked me out. I don't know if that means good sex or not. I viewed it as two become one. The ultimate, you know, that's what sex is supposed to bring, is the ultimate of connection. I don't want to melt into the other person's flesh, though. With cyber sex, you could do that. (laughs) So that is what it is showing, is the ultimate togetherness here. This doesn't seem like an improvement. I gotta say, I think sex has worked just fine for millions of years for most of us. I don't feel like putting on the Tron suit is really going to to heighten it to any new way. She can't move. I want to add that, like, that doesn't sound like a lot of fun. She gets stuck, can't move. This is also the point where, by the way, Arnie leans in and goes, That's cum! <laughs> because I... I was sitting there obviously flabbergasted my face probably showed that I was completely baffled but that part I wasn't confused on Arnie no that's very clear what's yeah, going on yeah pretty obvious I have no memory of that I just don't know why you'd want to splay that across a t-shirt and then walk around the mall <laughs> okay let it be said that the cum was not on the shirt <laughs> I thought it was, but maybe that's just my mind putting images back together. To me, it was. It was like you walking around with a cum shirt going, SEX FOR NERDS! (laughs) And I just didn't want to be seen standing near you. For obvious reasons. I think it's self-justified. You can tell me in the forums if I was cruel, but I I literally would not be caught standing near you in your Terminator 2 glasses and cybersex shirt. <laughs> okay, but let it be said, the cum was in Stuart's mind, not on the shirt, either physically or on the graphic. <laughs> And so back to this scene, you know, this is where I kind of like the gyroscope idea, though. If you're going to have virtual reality, you have to have the feeling. I mean, early on, Angelo has that disc flying, floating and falling. And you need to have the sensation. But what they also say is the VR at VSI, I don't know how it's doing it, but it's tapping directly into your glands, into your brain. So even though she can't move, I mean, she probably could still have a pretty rocking orgasm if the VR was hitting just those right nerve centers in the whatever part of brain comes. Yeah, you know, uh, this is a great way to not get an STD and yet have lots of sex with lots of people. I can see a benefit of this. If you truly do get those sensations, it taps them in the right parts of the brain, then yeah, this is would be a benefit for society. We could fuck our brains out. Now that you say that, it actually, this was at the height of AIDS and they were really pushing condoms at this point. There was a real fear connected to sexual transmitted diseases and all that. You're right. I guess I had forgotten that. But yes, in 1992, this could have seem like a a viable new way of having safe sex now it becomes unsafe when job turns into the giant vagina face monster (laughs) yeah i don't even know what that was i didn't remember that part death ejaculate i'm telling you yeah maybe drowning and cum it's not animated very well i gotta say whatever they were going for even if it was that i feel like that's hard to see in that i feel like it's the least impressive part of the computer graphics it's the only thing that makes no sense to me is why he becomes this bug-eyed big-lipped alien with these hands that decides to what tongue her to death i mean is this the coming back of give me your tongue because what happens when she loses her mind is a tongue comes out of that and whips her 
Yeah, and I gotta believe that she screwed worse. I mean, she's in this small town, and she's boinked every man that's been there. I gotta think this... Presumably the gas station guy. Yeah, this can't be any worse than a Saturday night with too many schlitz down her throat. I mean, I don't get it. Is that what you're calling them nowadays? Schlitz down her throat. (laughs) I did take this as just another manifestation that Job was... I don't know, becoming more sadistic or with his powers, you know, this is maybe secretly he's a dom and he would be, you know, flogging his woman if he could in real life. And yeah, it's just coming out in this cyber sex scene. It comes from his expression. He does get those evil eyes and says something like, I'm going to show you what you really want. There is a threatening quality to this. I don't know what you'd call it, but he is being aggressive. The monkeys didn't go this far. We didn't see it. Artie, was it in the cut you saw? (laughs) (laughs) I saw no monkey come, so no. (laughs) But I did get the impression from his reaction that Job did not want to hurt her. That was never his intent with that. He just went too far. He didn't know his own mental strength in cyberspace. They should have set up a safe word. I thought he had regressed. I had thought he had gone ape. I thought that something had come out of him. Something did come out of him. We've been discussing that. <laughs> so to speak, yes. But if we weren't knowing that this was a Stephen King-inspired story before, boy, when he's starting to flex and make the toothpaste and the chairs float and all of that, boy, this is a remake of Carrie. Yeah, or when he's, you know, making Big Red, his lawnmower that he built, because even when he was mentally challenged, he was good with machines, they dropped a line about, so... Yeah, he's standing on Marnie's balcony while moving Big Red around the lawn. Not in a very good pattern. It seemed very chaotic. Not a great mow job. So I gotta ask, this has all been, up to this point, feeling like a science fiction story, and now we're heading back into Carrie and horror and slasher territory. Is this gonna work for you? Does Job stand a chance of being the new Freddy or Jason? Not on Earth. I mean, here, when he goes slasher mode, yeah, we've set up these despicable characters who, I will agree, all feel like Stephen King types. The mean townie, the abusive father, the evil priest. So we've set up the pins. It's time for Job to knock them down. But I don't think this is where the sequel would lie. See, I think the problem is in the performance. I think you could have it and do it and maybe even have some success with it, except Fahey's playing it too straight. He's not having puns. He's not cracking a smile. He's not doing campy evil. He's trying to give a dramatic performance, for better or for worse. And I think that that's inhibiting me in, quote, enjoying the slasher second half. What seems weird to me for this slasher portion, you have a man that's becoming a machine, he's good with building machines, like, shouldn't he be interfacing with machines? Like, shouldn't that be his method of killing people? Like, it seems weird to bring on in all this psychic stuff. King seems to love that, and I know this isn't really King. I, I don't know if this was from the actual short story, but it seems weird that now this is about Carrie all over again instead of a guy that, you know, like Robocop, sticks his finger in a machine and can access it and turn it on and kill someone that way. Well, let's go through these deaths, and I'll tell you what is and isn't from the short story. The first one is The Priest. So many questions about this death. And it is not from the short story, but it is kind of computery because he sort of pixelates the priest. He burns him with cyber fire. That is my question. Is this just really bad CGI fire or was it supposed (laughs) to be computer fire? Because this is awful looking like this is the pits. This is just some of the worst cgi i've ever seen in 1992 i completely agreed with you jacob i thought it was just the worst fire ever now i think it's completely intentional 
that they really were trying to go Atari Fireman. There is a case for that. Later on, we'll see a swarm of bees. And again, I don't know if it's Job using his psychic powers like Noah from the Bible to round up animals and make these bees appear, or if he's tapping into computer somehow and they're manifesting in the real world. It never becomes clear. It's, to me, clear that he is just creating cyber creations, energy. None of this is real stuff. It is his creation from the digital ether. The line between virtual reality and real reality is blurring somehow because he starts seeing things. He looks at a glass of water and it looks, well, like a TV with bad reception, but I think it's supposed to look like VR. Yeah, it's his stick. I would say that it, the reason why it's pixelated is because that's to him what the knife glove is to Freddy or the hockey mask is to Jason. It's just, it's a signature. It lets you know that anytime you see that computer technology later, Job's a coming. Yeah, I guess if they would have shown, I don't know, digital bits moving big right around or lifting the chair, something to, it, it just seems so weird to go from psychic energy to now he's creating a target. 2600 graphics and burning people with them and really i have to blame the aggression protocols because for all his intelligence and all his christ complex i mean there's a lot of christ imagery going on with job i mean first of all he's named job yeah yeah but he spells it wrong well yeah because he's mentally challenged (laughs) yeah but then i mean when he has one of his seizures he's like i touched god i touched god and the other is he he says he's cyber christ yeah we're gonna see a cyber christ or at least a cyber crucifix later on he says i'm cyber christ i don't remember that line it might have been in the director's cut but i thought it was in the regular one too where angelo says the first sign of delusion is a christ complex and his reply is cyber christ oh (laughs) i missed it if he said it i I won't swear to it you didn't have to hear it to know that that's what they're going for here but it has to be the aggression protocols that made him decide it was time for christ to (laughs) get revenge you know instead of turn the other cheek oh let's go burn my enemies right yeah this is old testament here definitely and you know what i kind of enjoy it i think that this movie needed a little something at this point i needed a base thrill it's been kind of well it's just been kind of goofy and so now i know what movie i'm in as he's moving down and picking them all off next it's jake and again i thought for sure that cigarette was going to burn that whole place down carrie they burned down a gas station but maybe this is more clever clever can you tell me what happens i think he makes him mentally challenged right that lawnmower is just taking a little off the top yes that's right that's what i kind of figured i we gotta say in his pupils we see a cgi face (laughs) with the mouth of a lawnmower mower which transfers over to jake and yeah i wish we never see jake again i i guess maybe they could have shown him mowing marnie's lawn at the end because that's all he's good for but i took it that okay that lawnmower you know the lawnmower man is now inside of you it's going to chop up his brain and he's not going to be as smart as he was yeah it's a twist of fate that uh, it's ironic that they've switched places this guy used to make fun of people because they weren't intelligent and now he's on their level and and the lawnmower man is smarter than him i think it's a simple as that and in its own cheesy way i i kind of adore this scene and this graphic of him doing that to the brain <laughs> the fact that the graphic is rudimentary i wish they could have gone one step more i would have liked to have seen some digital carnage some like gray matter kind of flying up out of this 
computer-generated brain or something. Or I wish we could have seen a scene with this guy later on to show him as the result, because I don't know if he's becoming brain-dead, is this making him addled, what is exactly going on. But it is kind of a fun image, the face with the big red lawnmower blades in it. Right. And if that wasn't enough for the Gorehounds, we'll actually see this lawnmower in the next kill go to town for real. And this is the one I think you're talking about, Arnie, that feels the most like the actual Stephen King short story. This is, there are lines taken from the short story here. And in the short story, there's a father, he's not abusive, but his wife and, in this case, daughter go out and a guy comes to mow his lawn and eventually ends up chasing him through the house with a telekinetic lawnmower. That's what we get with the abusive next door neighbor. Is this movie PG-13 or R? It feels like they could have gone more with blood in this than they do. It was R, but you gotta remember 92 was hard on R films, you know? They cut so much out, and I don't think Gore was Brett Leonard's style. I think he wanted more of the VR and things, but there was cursing and nudity. This did get the R. And it should be said, he goes after this abusive father. It's the father of Peter, a young boy that he was friends with in his former mentally challenged life. They shared comic books. Yeah, it made me wonder how Peter was going to turn out. I felt like he was definitely going to play into the climax. I remembered him dying, that this would be the teaching moment, that Job would go too far and the lawnmower would kill Peter or something like that, and then he would start to have regret about what he's become. But really, Job never does feel bad for these deaths, and he makes sure that he gets away with it. All the cops that investigate and come for statements, he just uses his mental powers to make them write it off as accidents. He gets away with all these crimes after his night of blood and fury. And one of those cops is a character actor who's been in just an absolute ton of stuff. Troy Evans, ER. He's almost always playing a cop. I know we've seen him in a handful of now playing movies too, but to see him here in this minor role, kind of fun. Let me not go a podcast without mentioning Twin Peaks. He was the principal. Ah, that's right. I, I kept thinking either Twin Peaks or Picket Fences, but I couldn't place his role. Maybe both, but definitely Peaks. And during this this is where in the extended cut, Job has gone over to Angelo's house. He's taken Angelo hostage. We kind of see that in the final cut, too, when Angelo gets all tied up. And he's taken mental control of Angelo's girlfriend. Wife. Wife? No, I think it's just girlfriend. He has a ring on. Oh, Wife, that's even worse for how this movie ends. I'll get into it. <laughs> I know. I, that, I was very confused. Because... Here, Job takes control of her and uses her as a gunman. Some VSI people come, and we do get some of this in the final cut when the big golden Job head shows up and yeah. starts to threaten them. But before Goldhead shows up, the wife comes out with a gun and shoots one of them, and so the other ones shoot her, and she is dead. Now, the same night, movie time, about a half an hour later in the movie, Pierce Brosnan's going to run away with little Peter and his mother Carla. So it would be within 12 hours of his wife's death in this director's cut. Maybe he's just taking a note from Mary from sometimes they come back for more. <laughs> <laughs> 
But yes, that is the extra stuff in the director's cut. Here we do get the Job head, which is really hysterical. It, for some reason, reminds me of the Jolly Green Giant. Oh, I got flashbacks of Vigo the Carpathian. Doesn't he have a big <laughs> head scene in Ghostbusters 2? Yeah. And then he kills people by making them all ping pong ball-y. This is a fun little effect. I kind of like this one. I thought maybe he's trying to atomize them and they just didn't have the technology to make the dots small enough so they look like ping pongs instead of little atoms. Not atoms pixels oh pixels of course yeah i always thought it was breaking them down to a molecular level and that was even at the time even when i was totally hating lawnmower man back in 1992 in the theater i had to admit that this was kind of a fun conceit not a great effect but it didn't have to be in a b movie if you just imply a, a, an inventive kind of kill this was inventive i had never seen anything like it and it was kind of fun yeah i think at the time i was a little disappointed it wasn't gory enough for me and it was a little too cartoony but now i kind of like it i find it an endearing little effect that this is his go-to kill now i'd rather him do that than bring the wasps i don't like the wasps <laughs> i don't even quite know why he goes with wasps he's the lawnmower man not the bug man <laughs> yeah he needs a new name i think he needs some rebranding you can't scare anyone <laughs> with lawnmower man and and certainly not if you're bringing those swarms with you but does anyone say lawnmower man uh, isn't it just gardener <laughs> maybe that's less threatening maybe you know this is king and he always has your constant reader it could have been the constant gardener <laughs> oh wait that's something else other movie yeah but basically, we're at the climax here, and I don't know if there's other scenes to kind of explain this, but what I get is basically Job is at the final stage of his evolution, de-evolution, next transition. He is going to jump into the internet? The Matrix? Uh, <laughs> yes. The neural net is what they call it. Why is it a neural net? What is that? Is that just the internet before the internet was named? You know what? I'm going to actually give brett leonard a little bit of credit he may not be a great writer he may not be a great director but he did live in silicon valley and know some pretty smart techies who knew the internet was coming and they were i guess calling it the neural net but nothing job says is wrong here that everyone's going to be tapped in. Everyone on the planet will be tapped in by 2001. He was actually five years too slow. I think it was around 96 to 98 that everybody got tapped in. But in 92, nobody was quite sure what the internet was. Certainly I wasn't. Brett Leonard must have had some idea that from VSI, he could get out. I mean, we knew there were networks. We'd seen war games. We knew that people had dial-up connections. and Come on, we've seen Tron. Yeah, wide area networks. So he was going to get out on the grid, to use the Tron term, and be able to control everything. So it is about mind control. That is the plot, that he wants to control your mind. Yeah, that's what I don't get. Okay, he's going to get out to the grid. He's going to be able to call us up on the phone. I'm not sure. Is he going to sit for 10 years until everyone gets on the neural net and then take over? Yeah, these are landlines. This is not, no one had cell phones. Yeah, he does seem very patient if he's talking in 1992. The patience of Job. About to wait until <laughs> 2001 to do it. So Angelo's plan, from what I could tell, he's going to hack into VSI and upload a virus or something so mm. he can't get onto the neural net. It's going to block mm. all the ports. This is where they're using Technospeak to yeah. just skate right over some kind of ending. I don't think Angelo has had too much to do. He's been the character we follow 
episode because he's the one we relate to as all of this is happening. We certainly can't understand what's happened to Jeff Fahey anymore, <laughs> but how he's going to fight back and how he locks him into this you know, room full of honeycomb exit doors that are all locked. None of the ending will make any kind of sense from a technological standpoint. It actually makes sense of the director's cut. What you're witnessing here is some cuts made that do make it very confusing in the theatrical release. In the final cut, it does take a little bit of heroics away from Angelo, but he's not the one who locks him in. It's Tim's. We've got Tim's, who is Angelo's boss, who is horribly miscast as this young guy with a shaved head. Yeah, yeah. he's kind of creepy looking. Yeah, he's, he's a little creepy, but he doesn't feel like menacing middle management it doesn't help that there's another ball guy who is uh someone on breaking bad actually yeah dean norris plays the director of the shop and is he better on breaking bad he's terrible here yeah i mean he's he's a main character on breaking bad yeah hank you feel for that guy by the end of the show yeah he's really awful in this one but do we know where this main movie is taking place because angelo takes a trip to washington they say they have to fly there, but then he drives back. Well, it's just like the city is so far away, they can't just go visit it. So he he's somewhere in West Virginia. No, no, come on. This is Stephen King territory. He's in Maine, right? Bangor, somewhere. That's where I'm putting him. Good possible choice there. But wherever he is, he goes and the shop tries to force him into their program again. He finds out they've changed it. Well, the shop wants to capture Job and study him and so it's tim's who locks down the system so job can't escape the reason it's confusing what angelo does in the final cut is because he doesn't do anything well he does get nailed to a digital cross i mean they both hook themselves up to the gyroscopes and go into vr why is angelo crucified it's job who has the messiah complex maybe he's evolved from it maybe he's willing to pass that off i don't know you know we've seen him earlier cleaning that crucifix and yeah now he's strapping down poor pierce to it in cyberland and this is kind of a fun little thing i mean it's a little bit confusing as to what Angelo can do in cyberspace. I guess it's just a stalling tactic, right? Angelo is ready to sacrifice himself. Like Dr. Frankenstein, he realizes he's created a monster, and so he has to die with that monster, so he sets bombs all around and is just ready to kind of keep Joe busy until they both die. Yeah, that's how I took it. I don't really understand how he got the bombs. He found them in the back of some van, but yes, he is willing to take them all out to stop Job from getting away into the neural net. And speaking of monsters, what does happen to Job's body? <laughs> like, he's missing a face. Like, he's just this husk. Like, he's uploaded himself, so you lose all features to your physical body. Yeah, you know, come on. It's like uh, the soul <laughs> disappearing, and uh, yeah. <laughs> Along with your eyes and nose and mouth. It desiccates the corpse. Yeah, sure. They were so embarrassed by this mannequin that this is the one change in the director's cut that you can just tell they were doing because that looked shitty because in the theatrical cut you just see this mannequin head kind of slump over in the director's cut they just basically pasted cyber job's roaring face over the mannequin just so you can't see the mannequin <laughs> <laughs> that's probably a good choice it's pretty awful yeah it's really cheap but this is where Peter plays a role. I thought he would end up a martyred character, but little Peter comes wandering in, is going to be blown up by the bombs unless Job lets Pierce 
come back to reality, but he himself can't find a way out or something. Yeah, Job is trapped in the system, and Angelo is in the VR. He's nailed to the cross, so he can't leave. But when Peter comes in, because let's clarify, Carla was angelo's ride to vsi <laughs> i love the fact that he had to ask the neighbors <laughs> the woman whose husband just got chopped up by a lawnmower for a ride to go <laughs> fight the bad guy that's awesome and she did it then fell asleep <laughs> yeah. yes <laughs> and they had some more flirtation in the director's cut you could tell she wanted to be with angelo and hated her husband anyway well her husband abused her i'm sure she would have been with fine with jake <laughs> or job at this point <laughs> and I don't know why they had to take Peter along. I guess you can't find a sitter. Yeah. So (laughs) they both go to VSI. Angelo says drive away, but of course they don't. They wait for Angelo. The mom falls asleep, so Peter goes in. And yeah, apparently Job is already tapped into all of VSI's intercoms because Peter yells. He's not in virtual reality, but Job hears him and so releases Angelo to save Peter. So it shows that Job isn't all bad. Right. It sort of works how I thought it would. Although, again, I thought that they would kill the kid or or something bad would happen to him by Job's hand. No, I guess it basically allows Brosnan the chance to come back and be the man that his wife said that he wasn't, a family man. He's going to not only save this child, he's going to run off with him and the wife and act like that was his family all along. Again, far more cold in the director's cut when his wife just died, as did her husband the night before. (laughs) Yeah, real crazy. I mean, I know that about the rebound effect, but damn, 24 hours and you're ready to get hitched? But admittedly, he is running from the shop. The shop is still going to be looking for him because, I mean, he's now unlocked superpowers. And not in himself. No, but he can then reproduce it. He knows what happened. He could make them an army. But... Job did escape, and again, kudos to Leonard. I mean, I don't know if it's coincidence or what, but he found a maintenance line that wasn't shut down, and Job gets out. I wish this was a little bit more questionable. I mean, there's no question, no matter what cut of the film you're seeing, Job escapes, and then the building goes boom. So that means the ending is no twist. I would have liked to have one of those, did he make it out? He probably didn't make it out. Oh, wait, yes, he did. All the phones are ringing. Yeah, that's how I think it should have played, is you see him looking for that port to get out, building goes boom, end of the film, all the phones ring. Yes, that's what I would have liked. Yeah, you need to feel like you defeated the monster before you're going, oh, shit. Otherwise, yeah, we're wondering what Job is doing in the meantime. Well, it takes a while to hack all those phones. What? Is he going to talk to everyone? Like, I, I still don't get what the plan is by making all the phones ring. I guess that was, like, the biggest reach you could have in 1992 is call everyone on the phone. It's, you know, not text them or send them a selfie or something. It's just call everyone. <laughs> To me, in 92, that was an ominous image. This guy is out there. He can control our power grid. He can control our phone lines. He can control our computers. And I do think that's kind of a creepy scene, you know, for the end of the film, just having all these phones ring. It, Yeah, it is ominous, and I just wish I knew what it meant. Well, that's why we got a sequel, gentlemen, but that's <laughs> next week's problem. So, Jacob Stewart, do you recommend The Lawnmower Man? Jacob. You know, I'm learning with this series to temper my not recommends. (laughs) Because 
like I said before, we could always go deeper. But, you know, th- this is still a not recommend for me. There are some enjoyably bad moments. I did toy with the ideas. It's so bad, it's good. I mean, this whole opening scene with the robot monkey and, you know, the priest on fire, digital fire. It's just, it's so awful looking. There are some chuckles to have, but... Ultimately, I, I don't think there's enough to sustain it throughout. Maybe you guys have some love for the CGI because you saw it in 92. To me, everything just kind of looks awful and dated. And this shouldn't have been a Brosnan film. I know he didn't have top billing, but I think he's supposed to be the hero. This should have been more about Job and him doing his crazy things. In the end, it, there's some crazy stuff here. Like, if you love bad films, I love watching bad films, so I'm glad I've seen this. Because it is awful and it's crazy. <laughs> like when they introduce Job and you got this mentally handicapped dude and he's like banging his clients. Like it's got a lot of crazy, but by the end I was pretty bored. So it, it's a not recommend. Stuart. Yeah, it's as bad as I remember, but it's a whole lot more fun and funny than I gave it credit for back in 1992. I couldn't have realized how wrong they got the internet back then. And I I experienced this initially as something that was just sheer torture to sit through. And now, you know what this is? This is like when, you know, they dropped the nuclear bomb and then the next decade Hollywood made drive-in movies about radiation turning ants and women and everything else into 50-foot tall monstrosities that attack people. This has that same level of paranoia and camp to it. If you enjoy that kind of movie, if you like that kind of silly B-movie, this is the cyber equivalent to it. And I think that you could enjoy it on that level. I'm still going to give it a not recommend. A solid not recommend because I don't think it's funny enough to justify how stupid it is. But I will say I can really appreciate having gone through those manglers and sometimes trilogies. This is easily the most enjoyable thing I've watched since Cat's Eye. So I guess that's some kind of win, but still a not recommend. This movie is awful. This movie is just terribly bad, but it is hysterical. And I hadn't returned to this movie since the mid-90s. I think I did return to it around the time the sequel came out. I wanted to relive the experience, refresh my memory, download Job's experience the first time so I could be ready for all that would happen in the sequel. But it's been, I guess that's close to 20 years since I've seen this. I remember it being bad And I remember it having some cool visuals. I didn't remember it being awesomely awful, though. And I gotta say, I think this is awesomely awful. I mean, it's not a real recommend. (laughs) Thank God. I'm glad you're clarifying that. I think I hear what you... I'm even half agreeing with you on some level. Yes, it is entertainingly bad. Yeah, and, you know, I wish I could go back when we did our Howard the Duck podcast, because I'd put this about on that level. I wish I could give Howard the Duck a so-bad-I-love-it green arrow, but back then, we were just saying if it's a good movie or a bad movie. We hadn't given the ironic green arrows <laughs> to Catwoman. Yeah, Catwoman. Yeah, we all recommended that, and I don't regret it, but it does send a weird message for people that want to find good films. <laughs> yeah, and Garbage Pail Kids, and, you know... Stuart did it with I Know Who Killed Me. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think I was the pioneer on that. Yeah. Yes. So, 
I may even go back and just put the green arrow for Howard the Duck as so bad it's good. But nowadays, we can give a enjoyable shit recommend. And that's what this is to me, is enjoyable, even if the film is shit. I mean, the chimpanzee scene alone makes it a green arrow just for you gotta see how bad this is. So this is gonna have one green arrow next to it. Yes, Lawnmower Man is gonna have one green arrow, but not because it's so good, folks, but because it's enjoyable trash. Can't we do brown arrow i think that would send the right message (laughs) (laughs) so yes i recommend if you like awesomely bad movies to see the lawnmower man it really does have some cool visuals that i can appreciate even more now for their funky style than i could then when it was just the limit of what their half million dollar cgi budget could afford yeah well it looks a whole lot different when we get to the end of the 90s and they do it for real with the matrix if you can't wait till next week when we cover job's war this friday our silver donation listeners are going to get the conclusion of the matrix trilogy matrix revolutions that's right we are reaching the end of our matrix series i mean come on folks everybody knows what the first matrix is going to get and the animatrix it was an interesting review, but what you guys really care about are the films that are divisive, right? The sequels, the part two, part three, for a $10 donation, you get to hear all of those bonus reviews, as well as the review of the upcoming, don't know which way we'll go on it, Jupiter Ascending. It's the money that helps support our show. You can find all the details by clicking the banner at the top of nowplayingpodcast.com. And if you go $25 or more, you're also going to get the eight planet of the apes bonus films as we lead up to dawn of the apes this summer again all the details at nowplayingpodcast.com so jacob stewart thank you for joining me now if you'll excuse me i have things to do people to see a billion calls to make last journal entry for a while. I won't let Job's death be for nothing. What happened to him is my responsibility. For some reason, I've been given a second chance. So I'm taking my work underground. I can't let it fall into the wrong hands again. If we can somehow embrace our wisdom instead of ignorance... This technology will free the mind of man, not enslave it. Thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing's The Lawnmower Man Retrospective Series. I have to go now. Well, okay, Joe. We hope you've enjoyed the show. Damn it, Carol, I never unplug a program when I'm engaged. You just ruined the whole effect. Come to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week as we review another film based off the works of Stephen King. You should not look like the father of virtuality to me. Your support helps keep Now Playing on the air. We're being cut off. The mainframe will be totally isolated in less than two minutes. Off the net. Our spring donation drive begins in April 2014 where we will be offering bonus review podcasts covering the Matrix and Planet of the Apes movie series. I can't do this without your help. 
Find out all the details by clicking the banner at nowplayingpodcast.com. Without financial involvement, this project wouldn't exist. And in the archive section, you can find other movie reviews, including A Nightmare on Elm Street, Scream, Star Trek, The Avengers, Transformers, and more. When you hook into the library of my virtual city, you hook into every library in the world. And ultimately, the chip will bring everything online for everyone. Find hundreds of movie review podcasts at nowplayingpodcast.com. The potentials for human advancement are endless. And also visit our sister podcast at booksandnachos.com where you can hear reviews of the original Stephen King books and stories on which these films are based. Hey, that's dangerous. That's dangerous. You can also follow Now Playing on Facebook and Twitter where the hosts post new episode announcements and written movie reviews. This technology is meant to expand human communication, but you're not even human anymore! The links to our social media pages can be found at nowplayingpodcast.com. Come to me, all who have burdens. I will set you free. And you will no longer be the bastard children of a lost generation. Now Playing's The Lawnmower Man retrospective series is edited by Heath, Phil, and Arnie. You said you were going to take me to the city this weekend. But as usual, you're hooked up into that machine. Now playing credit narration by Brock. This universe is mine. I am God here. The film discussed in this podcast is the property of its original copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. You're talking about the shop. The puppet masters who pull all the strings. What? They own me? They'll rub me out? The shop? If I don't comply? Now Playing Podcast is not affiliated with the makers or distributors of these films. They want to suppress my work! The opinions expressed in Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Venganza Media Incorporated. Your naive idiocy makes me very angry! Now Playing is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2014, all rights reserved, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. Game over. Yes, you nailed it, Joe. You nailed it. Oh, that was sketch. Hey. <laughs> You're right. He was a big star at this point. He could demand anything. <laughs> Like Darkman 3, and uh, what else did he do after this? Sketch artist. <laughs> That's right, we haven't done the Darkman series yet. Not yet. What's what's Ms. Burke's first name? Marty? Yeah. Or Marnie, I think. Marnie. Is it Marnie? Yeah, like yeah. Arnie with an like M. Arnie. Yeah. Oh, that's even weirder than <laughs> Marty. I've never heard Marnie before. Okay. I actually knew a girl in high school named Marnie. It was very confusing. Oh, okay. yes. It's also a Hitchcock movie. <laughs> yeah, he does seem very patient if he's talking in 1992. The patience of Job. About to wait until 2001 <laughs> to do it. My feet and brain are swelling. I guess you don't know the story of Job. No, I do. Okay. I do. I don't remember his feet and brain swelling, though. No, his his feet swell. Okay, I know he gets all diseased and that. I, I know that mostly because OJ complained that he was a Job when his feet <laughs> swelled and the gloves did not fit. 
It's <laughs> <laughs> kind of a weird reference. Yes. Our silver donation listeners are going to get the conclusion of the Matrix trilogy, Matrix Revolutions. Ooh. Really? That's how you're going to follow that up? <laughs> I'm sorry. I was yawning. <laughs> Boy, but <laughs> are we all going to talk about our cum encrusted shirts now? Is, is that? I don't know what we're talking about anymore. Where do we pick up after cyber sex?